Okay, so loosen up a little bit. Okay, do that. Oh, oh that's, that's wimpy. Come on, give me a woof. Whoa. <laughs> Every time Jody would walk off, off and she'd be going, oh, back here. I don't know. I just like it. Okay, good uh, morning, everyone. 11 o'clock people. That's awesome. Uh, last week, we started a series called, remember? Under Pressure. Yes. And uh, we looked in the book of James. We started in the very first chapter. And we talked about how we can actually make our problems work for us if we uh, do it in the right way. Uh, and God actually said that you can, or James said, you can go even further and thank God for your problems. So here's what I want you to do this morning. Say, thank you, God, for my problems. Okay, go ahead and say that. Now, you don't really mean that, do you? <laughs> but James says that's what we can do. We can thank him for the problems that we're going through because why? Why does he want us to thank God? Because those are the very tools that God can use to make us more mature. And if we persevere, we will receive the reward of joy. We'll find joy. Now, we probably, believers and Christians, should probably be the most joyful people walking around because we're all under pressure, right? And if James says to thank God and to count it pure joy when you have these, these pressures and problems, then we probably should be out there going, thank you, God, for my problem. But we don't, do we? And so the, the whole point of this, James is very practical. He gives us lessons to live by. He makes what he says something that we can take and not just know in our mind, but we can take it and apply it to our life, and it will change and revolutionize our life if we'll follow and do what he says. Now, what do you look like when you're under pressure? Um, better yet, ask the person that you're with, what do I look like when I'm under pressure? Go ahead, if you're gutsy enough, ask somebody. Because they know better than you do, probably. Because we're not looking in a mirror when we're under pressure. We're just doing it. Our face says something. I get so annoyed when people are telling, like Jody will say, I know what that look means. And I'm thinking, what? I, I don't even know what she's talking about. <laughs> so she sees something in me that I don't see myself. But um, when we're under pressure, uh, we're kind of like a tea bag. Whatever, when a tea bag is dropped in hot water. Whatever's on the inside seeps out. It just does. Now, you remember Susie, right? I had to take her back to the airport. I don't know how you do it. Those of you that get in a van or a bus or on the train, well, the train's okay, but how many people get on 95 and go to work? Are there many of you? Well, Susie made her own, oh, God bless you all. <laughs> because I do not know how to do it, and I did it all wrong the day that I took Susie back. And uh, she had a 10 o'clock flight. She booked her own flight. Now, we would have never said, book a 10 o'clock on a Thursday morning flight. <laughs> but Susie didn't know any better. She's from Oklahoma. So we got up at, uh, early that morning. We just, she threw on a hat, and I just threw on my clothes, and I did brush my teeth, and we left at 6.30. I thought, two and a half hours, that's going to be Plenty of time to get her there for a 10 o'clock flight. It took me a half an hour to get to Stafford. 
And when I got to Stafford, my GPS, why do I trust the GPS? But I thought that she knew better than I did, and she said, get off of this exit in, Sta in Stafford. And I thought, why? I don't get that, but she knows better than me, so I'll get off of the exit. And so I got off of the exit, and I turned right, and she said, make a U-turn. <laughs> so I made a U-turn, and she led me right back on 95. And so now a whole chunk of cars was way ahead of me from where I was. So I got on, and, and, and the traffic was slow. It was raining. And, and Susie said, could, could we stop? And I, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, where do we stop? And, and, and the traffic is going to go on and on, and the time is ticking, and it's raining, and we've got this 10 o'clock flight. I could feel the anxiety just coming up inside of me. It took me an hour and a half to get to Triangle. And when I got to Triangle, it was stopped, and it was raining, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And so we went, uh, so we get up a little bit further, and she says, get off on 123. I trust her again. <laughs> I mean, don't look at me to be the smart one around here. And so I got off. I thought, well, 123 is a way that you can get to Dulles. So I got off, and about half a mile, she said, make a U-turn. So I made a U-turn, and she led me down through a back road, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, and I'm just starting to, to boil inside. But, you know, on the outside, when I'm under pressure, I kind of look like I've got it together, but I, I was really kind of shaky in this thing. We got up to Tyson's Corner, and it was stopped getting on 495, whatever it is. And, and I'm telling you, I thought... How is this going to work? But you know, before we left, of course, we prayed, and, and, and the Lord just reminded me, you know what? You're on your own because you're worrying about this outcome, and you're boiling over with anxiety, and you asked me to be with you, so if you ask me to be with you, why don't you trust me that I am? And that even if Susie misses her flight, I'm still going to be with you, and I'm telling you. It was amazing how the anxiety just lifted and how I said, okay, God, you got the car. You're my GPS. We're going to go with you. So we got to Dulles. It was 9.15. Her flight was at 10 o'clock. She still had to check her bags and get her boarding pass. And so I just let her out and I said, bye. <laughs> not really. I sat there. You know, you're not supposed to sit there very long, get in trouble. So I sat there a little while and I watched her in there and she takes her bags. I mean, she had a ton of bags and she uh, went to the kiosk and it wasn't working. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, she got the lady from the from the a ticket stand there and went over to help her. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, she's got to take the train down to her gate. I mean, she's not going to make. And I just had a calm and I said, bye-bye. <laughs> so that time I did leave. And I said, God, this is in your hands. So I was on, on my way home and I got a text from her and she said, it's no problem, Gay. I made it. <laughs> no problem. So she made it. But you know what? We, we get under pressure, don't we? We have anxiety. And a lot of times we just uh, try to trust this whole thing and figure it out ourselves. My job was to do my very best, but also to say, God, you've got this. You've got this. And it put it all in perspective. But when we're under pressure, the measure of our faith and our trust, or lack thereof, will show up. It just will. So when you're under pressure, it's a good thing 
Because you're gonna be able to see the measure of your faith and trust I did. I saw that I clearly wasn't trust, trusting God with this situation. And that's what happens. And James goes further and he says, thank God for when you're under pressure. I would have loved to have sat there in my car driving with Susie and said, thank you God for this traffic. Thank you for the rain. Thank you that we might miss this flight. Part of that, too, was that Susie was going to leave at 5.30 the next morning. She was going all the way to Oklahoma, and she was going to leave at 5.30 the next morning to go to Minnesota. And, and I told her, Susie, why don't you just fly from here to Minnesota? And she said, if I can just get one night at home in my own bed, it'll just be so refreshing and so wonderful. So she wanted to go home. So I knew that she needed to get home, and she needed to get on that flight. But you know what? It's so easy to get ourselves all worked up. Um, a little thing that Buddy says just came to my mind. See, I didn't take your time talking about the Redskins today, did I? <laughs> Dallas fans love me. <laughs> um, but when we're under pressure, when we're under pressure, it really does tell us how much we're trusting God, how much faith we're placing in Him. And when we can get that perspective and we can course correct that, it makes all the difference in our lives. And we saw how hardships can actually work for us. They can actually make us better. They can make us more mature and more equipped to deal with whatever comes along in our life. We saw that with the Krispy Kreme donut, right? It starts out as just a hunk of dough and then it gets blasted with a hole and then it goes through a whole bunch of hardships like boiling and hot oil and that whole thing, but it comes out beautiful. Just like Dwight, he's such an inspiration to me. You know, he's going through this thing with MS and he's found something and he has a joy in his heart that is just so beautiful because he's come through these trials and God has shown him something new because he's not brewing in all the anxiety of what he doesn't have. But when James tells us this, he even tells us, thank God, other questions quickly arise. How in the world do I do that? Because most of us would say, thank you, God. I know I'm supposed to count it pure joy and when I go through trials, but that's only in our head. I kind of got the sense we're really not living that out. We know that's how we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to feel, but the way that we get something from our head and only being head knowledge to our heart and truly believing it is stepping out and experiencing it. We have to experience it and test it and see if it really works. See if it really is true that when our faith is tested or when we're under pressure or when we have that kind of anxiety, that, it, that we look to the Lord and see truly if that relieves some of the anxiety. We have to test that as our faith is being tested. But how do we do that? How do we get it from our head to our heart? Well, James knew that our responses our responses, our choices in the midst of our pressure determines the direction that our life will go. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement because it says a lot of what happens in our life is determined by what we do in that moment when we're under pressure, when we're being tempted to do it our own way, when we're being tempted to strategize and figure it out ourselves. In that moment... Our response will determine the direction our life goes. So James answers very simply. He answers 
very practical. I love simple answers because they're never easy, (laughs) but they're simple. And James gives us a very simple and very practical answer. And he points us, first of all, to God. That's why we're here, right? Because we know that God is a big part of what our life, what we want our life to be. He points us to God, but he also points us directly to wisdom. Now, when we hear that word wisdom, we tend to think that it's reserved for certain people, like a wise old sage. You you guys remember Ray? Ray was here. He passed away a, a while back. And I loved Ray because of his wisdom. I mean, you could, he was just dripping with wisdom. Everything that came out of his mouth was something that you could live by. He must have had the book of Proverbs memorized. He was just a wise old sage. And we tend to think maybe like Mother Teresa as being very wise or the, the Dalai Lama being a very wise person. We tend to think that wisdom is kind of reserved for a particular age group or a particular person. It's not so. Even children can be very wise. Look at this. There's Patrick. Never trust a dog to watch your food. <laughs> very wise. How about this? Michael said, when your dad's mad and he asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. (laughs) Very wise. (laughs) I had a dad on the front row last night. He was just like cracking up. I said, you've said that a few times, haven't you? Do I look stupid? (laughs) Um, Okay. Kai said, never hold a dustbuster and a cat at the same time. (laughs) Not a good combination. If you want a puppy... Start out by asking for a horse. (laughs) Lauren said, felt markers are not good to use as lipstick. (laughs) Lauren probably still has that on her lips. And then Eileen said, never try to baptize a cat. (laughs) You ever put a cat near water? Ah! And here we go. Joel said, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. (laughs) That's one I give to... Gracie and Jackson. The other day, uh, we went to Harrisonburg, and um, Jackson rode with us. And we went, did a family thing, and so Jackson rode with us on the way back. He wanted a Klein's milkshake. Anybody ever go to Klein's in Harrisonburg? No, nobody in Lemba? Wow. Oh, yeah, when you went to JMU. Yeah, if you go to JMU, you'll know Klein's. My father built that place. It was my very first uh, job, uh, scooping. I've just didn't even put the ice cream in there. I just put the hot fudge and the wet nuts. <laughs> Ooh, that was really good. But that was my first job. Anyway, I took, took uh, Jackson. He said, no, I, I want some history in my life. So I want to go to Klein's. And I took a picture of him and, and posted it and said, his great-grandfather built this place because it's kind of a landmark in Harrisonburg. And uh, on the way back, he was riding with us, and he had got this great big milkshake, cookies and cream. And he downed that thing, man. He's only nine years old, and he downed it. And so we're, we're riding home, and, and uh, Jackson goes, ooh, my stomach isn't feeling so good. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, he's going to barf all over this car. I am not good. <laughs> but, and I said, I said Jackson, um, I'll get you a Coke or I'll get you a ginger ale, and sometimes that makes your stomach feel better. And, and he said, no, thank you. My parents wouldn't want me to have caffeine before I go to swim practice. <laughs> that is a wise young man. 
And I said, I am going to use that in my message this weekend. That's very wise. You can be young and be wise. It doesn't take a high IQ. You can be very, very smart and not be wise. You can be very, very wealthy and not wise. I know a lottery winner over near where my brother lives, and I've kind of watched him over the years and how his life has gone, and it has not gone very well. This man was very, very wealthy, but he has not lived a life that I think anyone would want. He's had several people in his, he, he had one person murdered in his life. He had this, it, it, it's just been a disaster. So wisdom is not dependent on age, not dependent on IQ, not dependent on any of those things. So let's look at some definitions of, of wisdom. It's understanding what's true, right, or lasting. It's good judgment, common sense, learning. It's available to anybody. It's it, both in the Old and the New Testament, there's a word that's used for, for wisdom, and it's skill in living followed following God's design and avoiding moral pitfalls. Now, avoiding moral pitfalls is just wise. Now, you can be a moral person and not get to heaven, but I kind of call morals speed limits of the character. You can break a speed limit. You can do that if you choose to, but sooner or later, you're gonna get in trouble. You're gonna get a ticket or you're gonna have an accident or you might get away with it and your life will just go down the tubes. And so morals are very important and it's very wise to avoid moral pitfalls. In, the, in this commentary, it says, being skilled in godly living. Do you see how practical James is? He's saying, this is not just something that you need to know for your life. This is gonna help you live a life, a godly life that has skills, that's gonna take you out of darkness into freedom. So many of the choices and the decisions that we're making today, so much of the way that we do anxiety, so much of the way that we do under, under pressure is taking us deeper and deeper and deeper into a hole. And we don't even realize it. And so we have to take a look at that. So how do we develop this skill to handle our problems in a way that they're gonna work for us and not against us? Well, James says we need wisdom. And look at this scripture, James 1, 5. It says, if, if any of you, that means any of us, right? If any of us lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Now, is that a promise or what? Now, who are we to ask? God. And what do we ask for? And who does he give it to? Everybody that asks. Everybody. Now, in James' day, it was just like ours. People lived under pressure. And James is talking about everyday life, a practical kind of wisdom that we need in our heart and our mind to make good decisions that will lead us to freedom and out of darkness instead of deeper into a hole. He said that when we're under pressure, that's when the test of our faith happens. So I'm gonna ask you, what's putting you under pressure right now? It might be your children. 
your child is, has some behaviors you just don't know what to do with. It might be your finances. It might be your marriage. It might be your spouse or your boyfriend. What is it that puts you under pressure? James says to ask God for wisdom. Now, we tend to think, if we look in the Bible, there are ton of people to choose from to give illustrations about wisdom. We could look at Job, and we could see how he was under tremendous pressure over, over years. And, he, and his friend said to him, why don't you just forget about God? And he said, yet though he slay me, still will I serve him. He would not give up on his faith in God. Or we can look at Jesus when he was under pressure, and they were accusing him of all kinds of things. And he was very wise in his responses. And we can look at, at many people in the Bible. And, and the most obvious one that we tend to think of is Solomon. And I wasn't going to go with him except for the fact when I began to study this, I found some things about Solomon that, that, that I didn't know before. We tend to look at Solomon, this great king of, of wealth, and we tend to think, well, he was just born that way. He was just wise. He was a wise king. It's not true. He was not born that way. So let's take a look. Um, Solomon uh, was King David's, David's son, and he took the throne when he was 12 years old. Is there anyone that's 12 years old in here? No, there haven't been. In, in all, we've got too good of a youth and children's ministry for a 12-year-old to be in here. That's awesome. But can you imagine, men, can you imagine when you were 12 years old, if you were given the responsibility to go build the wall between Mexico and the United States? That's your responsibility. How do you think you could do? Well, Solomon was given the responsibility of building the temple, of building the palace, and building a wall around Jerusalem. That's a big, that's a lot of pressure for a boy. And the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And the Lord said to Solomon, he said, ask me for whatever you want, whatever you want me to give. Now, if God asked you that, what would you ask for? Well, the first thing I'd ask for is probably healing for some people that I know. Um, I would probably ask for um, you know, some things in my life, I would ask for my marriage. What would you ask for, the very first thing? God is asking Solomon, ask me for anything. And Solomon said, well, God, you have shown me kindness and you've shown my father kindness. You've made me king. But God, I'm just a little boy. I'm just a young boy. I have a lot of responsibilities and a lot of people are depending on me. I don't know how to do this. I have no idea. I never saw Solomon that way. But doesn't that put us right with him? But he came very, very vulnerable to God and he said, I am, I've got so many responsibilities. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. But here's what he prayed. Give your servant a discerning heart. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Now, we live in a culture where the lines are really, really blurred, aren't they? 
wrong has been made right and right has been made wrong and what's wrong for you is maybe right for me and it's confusing, isn't it? But he clearly prayed, God, help me to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong. Sounded like he was asking God to develop his conscience. And I love the first line of this next scripture. It said, it says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself or have asked for the death of your enemies, you know, and I know you have all that going on, Solomon, but you asked for discernment and wisdom. I'm gonna do what you've asked. Is that amazing? So Solomon woke up from this dream and he knew it was a dream. He probably didn't feel any different than before he went to sleep. He still had the same pressures, still the same responsibilities. Nothing really had changed in his life. God wasn't giving him any answers. He could have easily doubted that that dream that he just had, well, that's just a dream. He could have easily doubted but he didn't. What Solomon did, in spite of the fact that he was under these pressures, that he was crying out to God, and he didn't have any answers, what he chose to do was to stay close to the Lord and to persevere, even when he had no, nothing. He had no answers. And it wasn't until later that he saw how God had truly answered that prayer. The question is, how long are we willing to wait? Or do we get in there and we strategize and when we're under pressure and we're trying to make this go away or we're trying to get that person to change or change our circumstances, we get our fingers in it instead of trusting God and waiting on him. And what Solomon did, if we can grasp this, will transform and revolutionize our life. If we will live this out, when we have no answers and we're under pressure and we're tempted to go ahead and give in to it, Solomon decided to stick right in the problems, to not leave them, to keep his responsibilities. You know what he did? He went back to Jerusalem. He didn't cut and run. He didn't say, this is too much for me. I don't wanna do this. I don't deserve that. This shouldn't have happened to me. This is so unfair. I can't believe this. Isn't that what we do in the middle of our problems and our trials? He didn't cut and run. He said, these are my responsibilities and I'm gonna stick with them. And then he worshiped. He just worshiped. Just like we did here this morning, coming together and you found the value in that. There's a lot of stuff going on in our lives here today. A lot of pressure that's being put down on you. You're in some circumstances that seem overwhelming and impossible, but you found the value in coming together and worshiping today in spite of that. And you've probably met God in some kind of way in the last few moments that we've had here in a way that you never would have had you not come here today. That's what Solomon did. He worshiped anyway. And then he threw a feast which says to me that he lightened up, which says to me that if he lightened up, he wasn't carrying that same burden of those responsibilities, and that was evidence of his trust. He wasn't denying it. He still had the responsibilities. He worshiped God, 
But the evidence of his trust was that he lightened up, that he wasn't taking this so seriously. He was trusting God. And you may think, yeah, 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 but that's an important king, and God worked differently in his life. No, it's not true. Thousands of years later, James is telling us exactly the same thing. Under pressure, first, ask God for wisdom. Ask him for a discerning heart to know right from wrong and develop skill in godly living. You know with any skill that you develop, it takes practice. You don't just become a professional baseball player overnight. It takes a lot of practice. And in this life, James is telling us, you're not just gonna wake up one day and God's just gonna dump all of this wonderful godly living on you. It's gonna take practice. It's gonna take something from you. And James gives us these guidelines to live by. But he goes on to say this, but when you ask, okay, I'll ask for wisdom, God. But when you ask, he says, you gotta believe and not doubt. Because if you do, you're caught up in the wind and you're unstable. You're like the wave of the sea blown and tossed. That person, if, if that's us, don't expect anything from God. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? But you're on your own. If you're not believing that what God says, he will do. If you ask for wisdom, you can be confident that he's given it to you. Solomon asked for wisdom. He was confident that God was moving because, you see, God moves in the unseen. That's what faith is. There's, God is doing all kinds of things that we cannot see. Our job is to persevere and to stay put and to not run away and to worship and to lighten up as he's working in our lives. But don't we interfere? Don't we get our fingers in there and say, no, you need to change, or I need to move, or I need to go to another church, or I need to, we, we think that changing our circumstances is gonna make a difference. It won't because you're gonna be the same in any situation. It's learning how to deal under pressure with those temptations within us in the midst of that pressure. That's why James says, count it pure joy because God is developing you. This is your opportunity to learn something from God that you will never see if you're not in that hot water. This is good. So everybody say, thank you, God, for my problems. That's not very convincing, but, <laughs> but you get the idea, right? I mean, if we could get there, if we could say, God, you've got something for me to learn in the middle of this. You love me. So here are a couple of things that I just want to say to you while you're waiting. While you're waiting to, to see God, what God has done in your life displayed, like we'll see with Solomon in just a minute. While you're waiting, listen. First of all, listen to your, I will, here's a great little uh, quote. Wisdom is the reward that you get for listening when you would have preferred to talk. First of all, listen to your conscience. All of us have a little still, small voice within us that knows some things are wrong and some things are right. And I gotta tell you, it's just dumb to do what you know is wrong. It's gonna destroy your life. It's gonna destroy the people around you. 
if you know that there's something that's wrong for your life, don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you do, you'll be on your own. God has no obligation to you. You understand that? So there's a conscience that all of us have. Listen to it. Listen to it. And, and uh, seek wisdom. And uh, if, if, we, if we do what we know is wrong, God's not obligated to us. Secondly, just learn while you're waiting. Make it, make it a goal for you to learn more about how relationships work. How does a relationship in marriage work? How does a relationship with money work? How does a relationship with my in-laws work? How, you understand? Everything is about relationship. Learn more what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Go deeper in your relationship with, with him. Some things we're just uncertain about. Some things we just don't know. Some things are black and white. You know that's wrong. You know that's right. But some things you're just not sure. And you can't go to somebody else because how do they know? What we have to do is go to the word. We have to search it out. What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about raising your children? What does the Bible say? And, and here's a promise that's yours, and I cling to this promise. It's out of Jeremiah. It says, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When you put me first, and you want it so bad, you want to know what you need to hear from me so bad that you'll continue to dig and dig. You've got to go to the word. Nothing can replace that. A trusted friend, a pastor, a counselor, they're all good. Don't go there first. Go to the word. What does the word say? If you, you kind of play hide and seek game with God. That's what he does because we have to keep going into the mysteries and we have to keep finding him. But he promises that he can be found by you. I can't find him for you. Nobody else can find him for you. But if you seek him and you seek him with all of your heart, he declares that he will be found by you. It's beautiful. So learn more about what the Bible says. Proverbs is stuffed full of godly wisdom. Gracie said to me the other day, she said, I love the Proverbs. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm going to start reading them. So every day I've been reading one chapter of the Proverbs. My goodness, there is so much, so many guidelines in there to live by. If we just take one and we apply it to our life in one day, what a difference it would make. And we develop these skills for a godly life. It, wisdom does not allow our logic to lead us. It doesn't allow our feelings to lead us. We are such a culture that's so dictated by our feelings and allow our feelings to lead us. If it feels good, do it. No, not always. Because if it feels good, sometimes it's going to get you into some hot water, into some big trouble. So think twice, and that brings me to another one that says, just simply consider. When you're under pressure, when you're in the middle of a place, and you're tempted to go one way or the other, you have a momentary opportunity to make a choice, to make a decision. You get to do that. Consider what this decision right now, how it's going to affect other people, people that you love, because it will. Every decision 
that all of us makes affects somebody else. Those closest to it, it'll affect them the most. Think how it's gonna affect your future because I can guarantee you the decisions we make today will have residual consequences, good and bad, throughout the future. My goodness, I was talking to some friends of mine after the service and I said, some of those decisions I made when I was 20 years old, just flippantly, not thinking at all, still today, there's some consequences. I've been forgiven, God loves me, but there are still some consequences to some of the decisions that I made back then. I'm wiser now, I take a little more time in those moments being under pressure and tempted, I know I have a choice. I know that my, my life will go in the direction of that choice that I make. What do I need? I need wisdom. I need wisdom. And I need to know that God is right there with me. So the rest of the story, well, out of Proverbs, one last thing. It says, a wise person thinks ahead, a foolish one doesn't. So listen, learn, consider. It's just wise, even when you don't have answers. You might be surprised at how God shows up. So here's the rest of the story with Solomon. Eventually, eventually, he saw that God had answered this prayer. Not right away, but he saw that God had answered his request for wisdom and a discerning heart, and it was a, in a most unusual way. There were two women that came to him, they were both prostitutes. They lived in the same house. They both had had a baby just three days before. And they came to the king to settle a dispute. And one of them said, we both had a baby three days ago. And one of them now is alive and one is dead. And the dead one is hers. Because in the middle of the night, she rolled over on that baby and the baby died. But she took her dead baby and she took my living baby from me and she put her dead baby with me. So these two women are coming before King Solomon with this dispute. And, um, and so King Solomon, he knew that he had a situation here. <laughs> what, how, how in the world am I gonna figure out who this living baby belongs to? It's a he said, she said, isn't it? It's just one person's word against the other. And when you're put in a situation where you have to hear, I've done a lot of marriage counseling, and he will say one thing and she will say another, and it's completely opposite, what do I do? How do I discern what the truth is here? And that's the situation that Solomon was in. And so Solomon said, uh, he said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child, and each says that the dead child belongs to the other. So here's what Solomon does. He says, okay, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king, and he said, divide that living child in two. Give half to each of these women. And then the woman who was really the mother of the child and who loved him very much, cried out, oh, no, sir, give her the child. Don't kill him. Give her the child. But the other woman said, all right, it'll be neither yours nor mine. Divide it between us. 
They both had a choice, didn't they? One mother loved, and the other mother wanted something for herself. And then the king said, give the baby to the woman who wants him to live. She's the mother, even though she was willing to give that child up. Now, this story that I want to point out to you is not so much about those babies. We could, we could make, draw all kinds of wisdom out of that story. But I want to shift it over to Solomon and how at that point, Solomon knew that God had answered his prayer because his wisdom was displayed through this situation, through this very difficult decision that he, made, that he had to make. And he knew that God had answered. And, and um, words spread out th throughout the kingdom of Solomon's great wisdom. It came be because they saw him making that decision. It wasn't like somebody said, oh, God just gave you that wisdom. He just dumped it on you. You were born that way. No, they actually saw Solomon make this wise decision. And he was given much honor throughout the kingdom as king. The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom and a discerning heart. Just like James says to us, ask God for wisdom. Solomon didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for that one thing like you and I probably would ask for if we went to the Lord and he said, I'll give you whatever you want. He asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for death to his enemies. He didn't ask that other people would change so that it would make better for him. But he asked for wisdom in how to live a godly life and how to influence others positively and how to carry out those heavy responsibilities that he had. And here's the, here's the kicker. God not only gave Solomon what he asked for, but he gave him even more wisdom, even more honor, even more wealth, the Bible says, than anyone ever. Solomon didn't ask for that. He asked for wisdom. Does it sound familiar to you? What we've been emphasizing all year. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things that we work ourselves silly for. See, if he would have striven and asked for wealth, he would have had what a human could have attained. He didn't ask for that. He didn't get his focus on what somebody else needed to do. He asked for wisdom. And all these things will be added to you. It's all about what we ask for. It's all about where we place our focus. Now, many of you are being tested right now. Your faith is being tested. You're even a little distracted by the band coming out. The enemy wants you to do that, to get focus off of what he's trying to say to you. Be wise. Be very wise. Listen. Learn something. There's something to be learned. Consider. You're under pressure, you're being tested at work, in your marriage, with your finances, with your kids. And the pressure seems overwhelming. I know. 
This past year has been a year like that for me. I've been under pressure in a way that I don't think I ever had been before. And it was intense. And it seemed like I was just in a holding and a waiting pattern. I know what overwhelming pressure is all about. And I know what it means to have to stand still in the middle of it and not take control to fix it myself or to want someone else to fix it. I know what that's like. You might feel like you've tried and tried and tried and nothing's going right in your life. The question for yourself, ask yourself, how are you responding? How are you responding under pressure in the midst of these things that are coming down hard on you? It might not make sense to ask God for wisdom, but he gives us a promise He promises to give it to us. We can be confident that when we ask, he gives. And he promises that if we stay close to him, even when we don't have answers, even when life is not making sense, even when everything is kind of going haywire, that he'll stay close to us. Maybe even thank him in the middle of it. Ooh, he might do something really amazing for you if you thank him. The Lord will be pleased because she thanked me in the middle of her pressure. I don't know. You won't know until you try it, will you? But I can tell you this from personal experience and from the authority of God's word. An unswerving stability will invade your life. And you will be amazed at how God eventually shows up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here. God, I thank you so much for your word. It just seems to go counterintuitive to our human experience, and of course it is, because it's godly. And you want to change us into looking more like you, Jesus. Father, thank you for the example of Solomon for seeing him as that little boy that said, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. And how faithful you were to him, Lord, when he asked for wisdom. He granted it. He didn't see it. But eventually, your glory was on display through his life. You want no less for us, Father. James says so. Father, help us to practice living a a godly life. For all of us here this morning, In the middle of this pressure that you're under, you can ask him for wisdom. You can do that right now. You can ask him for a discerning heart that will help you know right from wrong and to choose to do right. You can ask him in the midst of your uncertainty to teach you who he is and his ways. The beauty of it, all you have to do is ask. We have not because we ask not. And the Lord is pleased when we ask for wisdom and a discerning heart. So in these moments, allow him to speak to you. There's probably a little golden nugget that he wants wants you to hear just from him, maybe through a song, maybe through a nudge of someone that's close to you, maybe just in his presence. 
Bye.